Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Place Church Online. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Let's get right into worship with our amazing worship pastor, Pastor Josh Hamilton.
Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name. Thank you for your promises, God. You are faithful. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. Enter his gates with thanksgiving right now. Hallelujah. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathe your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me.
No wall you won't kick down, no you won't tear down. Coming after me, yo. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no you won't tear down. Coming after me, all be overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Don't you just love that we can come and worship anytime? We don't have to wait until we are worshiping with each other to welcome the Holy Spirit. So we're so thankful for that this morning. Last week, we met inside the Trinity Sanctuary. They were so nice enough to let us do that. We're going to continue to do that since it worked out so well, but we're going to continue to adhere to the social distancing guidelines that have been set up. So um, come expect. We will not be having food since we are meeting indoors so just be prepared for that operation christmas child this is one of my favorite favorite causes i look forward to it every year this year we obviously have to do it a little bit differently but what you can do is go to gpc shoebox at yahoo.com schedule a pickup time and pick up the supplies and the shoe boxes at the morris's house thank you morris family from there you're going to take the supplies home and you're going to package the supplies in the boxes as a family. So we highly encourage you to take pictures, uh, to take videos, do this as a family. This is a great opportunity for us to not only connect with our families, but to show the world the love of Christ by doing this. Now, Operation Christmas Child is an amazing cause that will give kids Christmas that wouldn't have Christmas otherwise. And it's also a great opportunity to show the world the love of Christ. It does cost a lot of money to put this on. So in giving in your tithes and offerings, if you would like to contribute to this, we would be honored for you to donate. It costs well over $4,000 to put this on. So again, should this be on your heart to do so, there are three ways that you can give. You can text 84321 with the dollar amount that you would like. And if you would like to donate to Operation Christmas Child, just put Christmas Child next to the amount that you would like to give. You can go online to gatheringplacechurch.org and you can go in the ties and offering page. If you scroll down, there is an option for Operation Christmas Child, or you can always mail us a check at P.O. Box 1078, Poway, California, 92074, and in the memo, put Operation Christmas Child. 
Thank you so much in advance for your offerings. This is a great cause, and we would just love to make it happen this year. Okay, guys, ready to pack our shoe boxes? Yes. Let's go. Okay. First thing we're going to do is read these instructions. Let's take everything out of our box. Now, you have in your supply bag supplies for two boxes. Almost everything is unisex, so what we recommend you do is divide up the supplies equally between each box, and you can make the decision if you'd like to send your boxes to a boy or a girl. Okay? Let's take everything out here. Wow, guys, this is a lot of stuff. The kids are going to be blessed. What we'll want to do first is start packing things that are flat. Those can go in the bottom of the box. Each shoe box will have an activity book. You can put this in on the very top so that it doesn't crease. A few of these items have some superfluous packaging. Feel free to go ahead and take that off. Remove from the plastic wrap. Okay, well that was fun. That was easy. Last thing, some of the boxes have an activity booklet, which is a little bit big, so you can put that in the creased edge over here on the side of the box, and that way when you close the box, there you go. It'll stay nice and neat. There are cards in your supply bag. You can write a nice note with an encouragement to the children who are going to receive these boxes. There's also a little note with a blessing from our church, so please include that, and then you can put your cards right on top, close up the box. Great. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to bless children all around the world. Bless these boxes right here. A great smile to their faces and that they will come to a saving knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, you can choose if you'd like your box to go to a boy or a girl. So just check boy or girl. And then everything that we have provided is for the age range five through nine. So please make sure that you check five through nine. Take a rubber band, which was in your supply bag, put that around your box, and you're ready to drop it off. Uh, instructions for drop-off are included in your instructions. They can go to the Morris home, family from our church, or you can take them to any Samaritan's person. Drop-off location, you can just Google that and find the information online. Okay, God bless you. Hooray, we did it! As you give today, we want to share some good news with you. We know a lot is going on, especially with the election, in addition to everything else that's going on in the world. God is still moving and we have good news. So please watch this video of our dear friend Mark Nelson as he shares some good news. Hi guys, I have a testimony of a man getting healed over a business call. And I've been on a faith journey with God. I'm learning how to trust Him more in the area of healing. And what's amazing about it is the results I've learned are completely on God. And I've tried not to carry any performance pressure with this, but I love it because He takes ordinary, ordinary people uh, to do extraordinary things. And uh, this is an example of that. I got a call during COVID from an old client 
who I don't know very well, but he heard that I moved out to Chicago and he he's very interested in San Diego and was looking to potentially buy real estate out here. And so we were talking all about San Diego and uh, he then told me that he was planning uh, a trip um, out to San Diego, but I uh, couldn't make the trip until the pain in his back went away. So I started to ask him about that and he had severe sciatic nerve pain coming up his side and so I asked him what the level of pain was from zero to ten and he said you know you can hardly move it's like it's like ten so I told him a testimony of a guy I prayed for a couple of weeks prior in Chicago whose leg I saw grow out and it was just a supernatural experience watching uh, God do that and as I shared that, I could hear he was intrigued and I said, hey, can I pray for you quick? Um, and he said, sure. And so I prayed a simple prayer and then I asked him what his level of pain was. And he said it went down to a four. And so I was like, that's amazing. God is moving on your body. And uh, I just explained how Jesus paid the full price so we should go after full healing and I said can I just pray one more time I'm trusting for 100% healing so we prayed again but at that moment he pulled up to his meeting and he was actually driving which I didn't know and so we had to say goodbye he jumped out of the car so the next day I called him and said hey I'm following up how, how did you feel after we prayed and he said the sciatic nerve pain um, all of his pain had gone 100%, so he was down to zero. And I just got to tell him about the goodness of God and t uh, testify to what Jesus has done on our behalf. And it was just an amazing experience. It opened the door for, for me to share the gospel with him. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing that story with us. What a blessing. Now, if you have any God stories that you want to share, please email info at gatheringplacechurch.org and let the congregation hear about your amazing God story. Hey, everybody. So Pastor Mark's going to be teaching today on the kingdom. And uh, I was going to wait until we knew who the next president of the United States is. And I was going to just talk to you about it just for a few minutes. The problem is at the making of this video, we don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe you do know by now. Um, right now, it's in flux. Nobody knows. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you in a way that's relevant to whether your guy won, your guy lost, or is still unsettled. There's three things I want to encourage you to do in any scenario. Number one is be humble. If your guy won, be humble. Don't gloat. Don't show your relief in the face of those whose uh, whose person lost. That's just, that's just not, um, it's not Christ-like. I was on a, a Zoom call today with some uh, leaders in our city, and one of them was the primary leader, and he was talking on the Zoom call as though everybody on the Zoom call was on his page. And uh, so there are a few of us that just kept quiet because I was on a different page, but he didn't make room at the table for everybody, and it was really weird. And uh, we're doing something together in the city, and uh, it just was uncomfortable. I don't want to make other people uncomfortable uh, if my guy wins and their guys lose. And I would pray you wouldn't either. You know, Jesus uh, hung out with, quote, sinners. And the Pharisees are really angry at him. The sinners would be uh, the group that is not your group. Because every group thinks the other group is the sinners group. And so Jesus was uh, eating dinner with, quote, the sinner group. And the Pharisees got really angry at him. Why was Jesus doing that? 
because he loved him. He loved them, right? Jesus said for us to love your enemies. And you say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, we're following Jesus. We're not following a political leader. Secondly, not only be humble, but don't fear. God is in control. Do you really believe that? You see, your anxiety level will let you know whether you really believe that or not. Uh, so often we think we're playing checkers when God's playing chess. You know, we're in hand-to-hand combat and we're on the ground level and we lose one, we win one, we lose one. But God's like, you know, 10, 15 moves ahead of us. He is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the world. And that's the third thing. Not just be humble and don't fear, but draw near. Your leader is Jesus. Draw near to him. He's in charge. He's not fretting. He's not worried. And so often when you pray to him about the things you're so concerned about, he'll be talking to you about something else. Like you may be praying about the election and he'll start talking to you about your unsaved neighbor and or feeding the poor. Something completely off script of what you're all passionate about. So we need to be, as our our worship pastor Josh says, on God's page. And so I'm going to encourage you, whether it's still in flux or your guy won or lost, be humble, don't fear, and draw near. All right. God bless. Here comes Pastor Mark. Good morning. My name is Mark Cowpersmith. I'm the associate pastor at the Gathering Place Church, and we're in the middle of the Kingdom of God series. We're discussing the kingdom, kingdom of God, and this morning I'm talking about the characteristics of the kingdom. Now, last week I started looking at the characteristics of the kingdom, and the first characteristic is innocence. The man and his wife stood naked and unashamed before God. That's the state that God wants us to live in. That's what he restored to us on the cross and gave to us when we accepted Jesus as our personal Savior. Now, the second characteristic, also from the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, is relationship. The kingdom is a relational kingdom. So much so that, I like to put it this way, God doesn't merely value relationship, as in relationships are a good thing, we should be nice to one another, it makes life go better. No, God doesn't simply value relationships. God is a relationship. Here's a question. How many is our God? Well, our God is three. Isn't that interesting? Quintessentially at the core of his identity, there is a relationship. Now, how many does it take to have a relationship? Minimum. It takes two. You can't have a relationship with nothing. You have to have a relationship with someone else. So let's ask the question, if God were two, because that's all it takes to be a relationship, he'd only have to be two. If God were two, what common human relationship would he resemble? Well, I think we all reach the same conclusion. He would, he would resemble a marriage. It would be like two people facing one another who are in love. Have you ever been in one of those uh, fun houses, like at the fair, where you walk in to this room of mirrors, and if you stand in the right place, there's a mirror on each side of you. And when you look at that mirror, you you see the reflection of you looking in the mirror, but then it goes over to this mirror over here, and then the reflections go back and forth, so it's like this, this hall of mirrors going off into infinity of the reflection of you looking at you, looking at you, looking at you. It's kind of like that in a marriage. In a marriage, I give all of my love to Shelley, 
and Shelly gives all of her love to me. And that love just goes back and forth between us, over and over, echoing for the entire length of our marriage. But God isn't two. God is three. What common human relationship is like that? Three or more living in a relationship of love. Well, I think we hit the same answer. God is a family. God is a relationship of love. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I I see a triangle with three points, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the love just keeps going back and forth and around between them. Constantly, they're loving one another. He is like a family. And in the kingdom of God, relationships come ahead of every other value. And Genesis makes this very clear, but we need to do a little bit of examining to have it come to life for us. So let's look a little more closely. In God's perfect world before the fall, God had only one commandment for Adam and Eve for life with him in the garden, in this beautiful perfection. And here's the command. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 2.17. Well, I have to admit, when I first read this, and for many, many years, every time I would read this verse, I thought he was talking about sin. That it would be sin would be the thing that would cause us to surely die. And that somehow eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in itself sinful that somehow the knowledge of good and evil is a bad thing, and by acquiring it, we have sinned. I thought it was just another way of saying that Adam and Eve had sinned. But then I read this verse, and it really got me to thinking. And this is God speaking. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3.22 so this, this this immediately struck me, wait a minute, something's wrong with my thinking. The knowledge of good and evil cannot be a bad thing because it's an attribute of God. They've become like one of us, knowing the knowledge of good and evil. God knows the knowledge of evil and God is perfectly good. So the knowledge of evil, of good and evil, is a good thing. But why doesn't he want us to have it? Why is not acquiring the knowledge of good and evil, the only commandment in his perfect kingdom with Adam and Eve. It's the only thing he didn't want man to have. He never intended humans to operate with the knowledge of good and evil. I puzzled over this. I've got to tell you, it really got to me because it made no sense to me. If this is an attribute of God, why didn't he want us to have it? It's a good thing. It's not in itself sinful. So I pondered, what, what is it anyway? If, if, if we had to find other ways of saying, what's the knowledge of good and evil? What would we come up with? What is it in contemporary terms? What is it called when you look at everything you do all the time, asking the question, is this right or wrong? What do we call the pursuit of looking at everything in the terms of right and wrong? Here's a hint. What do we call the study of right and wrong? It came to me one day, well, this is ethics. This is what we call ethics. 
This is the study of right and wrong. It's a course in the philosophy philosophy department of your local university. It's not a well-attended course, (laughs) but it's there. You see, in a word, it summed up morality. The knowledge of good and evil is all about examining your life and deciding what is wrong and what is right moment by moment all the time. It's about being a moral being. It's about having a moral nature. It's about having a conscience and looking and watching and examining your life in terms of what is right and wrong behavior. To have the knowledge of good and evil is to be a moral being continually conscious of right and wrong behavior. Here's the shocker. God is saying right here, before the fall, before any sin happened, in his perfect kingdom, in his perfect will for us, I do not want you living as a moral being. Don't take that fruit and don't acquire that characteristic. Stay clear of it. It's the only thing I don't want for you. Why? See, I always thought, as I was raised as a Christian, I always thought that that was the whole point of being a Christian, was examining my behavior, doing what is right, avoiding what is wrong, and making that judgment. I thought we were, spe- we were supposed to spend all our time examining our behavior to stay right, never wrong. Isn't that what being a Christian is all about? That's what I was taught. That's what I grew up with. But the biblical answer is no. That is not what being a Christian is all about. You see, here's the question that may answer this for us. Why does God not want me to be functioning as a moralist? When you live in a moral universe, where is your gaze? What are you looking at? Well, to be a really good moralist, you're looking at yourself and you're looking at yourself all the time. You see, when you focus on right and wrong behavior, your attention is on yourself and your behavior. Now, there's a serious problem with this perspective. There's only two inevitable outcomes of a life focused on attention to your behavior and your actions. There's only two possible conclusions. And they happen to correspond with two self-appraisals. First category. There are those who think they're doing quite well. They're not making mistakes. They got it together and they're feeling very good about their performance. And you know how you do that? Focus on everybody else's failures so you feel better about yourself. What is the inevitable, what is the inevitable result of their attention being on moral choices. Now, there's a biblical character that sums this up absolutely perfectly as to the kind of person that spends their time looking at themselves, comparing themselves to others, and winning all the time. They're the Pharisees. Pride and self-righteousness. Look at me, I'm doing great. That's the first category, and you know, to be honest, it's not a very big category. There's not very many of us in it, fortunately. The second category, and that's the rest of us, we're the vast majority. We're those who see ourselves clearly 
as we really are. And we know we're not making it. We see that heap of failure. And every day, it gets a little bigger. Going to bed at night, there's more failure and sin than there was in the morning. And this goes on until someday, if you're really lucky, you get to die, go to heaven. What does this person fall into? This continually seeing themselves in terms of their performance and seeing that they're not measuring up to the standards, to God's standards, to Jesus' standards. They see themselves as failures, guilt, discouragement, self-hatred, condemnation. Well, what ultimately happens, you can't go on living like that. Eventually, you have to quit. You become apathetic. You give up. You become cynical about your Christian life. We go through the motions, but we really don't try because there's no chance of winning. Now, here's the interesting thing. What do these two outcomes have in common? On the one hand, self-righteousness. Hey, look at me. I'm succeeding. I'm doing this really well. Or self-hate. Look at me. I'm a failure. What's the common denominator? Itself. It's a focus of you on you. Your gaze has moved from the Father to yourself. And the minute your gaze moves from the Father to yourself, you're finished. You're disconnecting from the source of all goodness. So my point is this. If you're gazing at Jesus and you're falling in love with him, and it's not possible to attend to him and gaze at him and not fall in love with him, something is happening within you, in your heart, as you gaze at him. You discover a growing desire to please him, because he's just so good. And often, you're not even conscious of what is happening. The love of Jesus is transforming you from glory to glory, inside you, from the inside out, not trying to change behavior from the outside and hoping it finally makes you feel better inside. No, this is transformation at the core of your being that's taking place because you're gazing at him. And he is so influential. He is so wonderful. He is so loving. He is so gentle. He is so kind. He is so patient. He is so long-suffering. He is so forgiving that you are being influenced at the core of your being by his goodness. Not because you're trying to change. You are being changed because you're focusing on him. You're looking to him. And his love is penetrating you. And his personality and his character is influencing you. It's like, it's like where you, you take that potato, you cut the potato in half, and then you put it in the blue water in a dish. And you go back the next day and you look at it. And, oh, the inside of the potato is turning blue. You put it in there again for another couple days. By the end of a week, the inside of the potato is completely blue. It has absorbed by osmosis the substance it was immersed in. When you put your gaze on Jesus and he becomes the center of your look, your focus, you're not busy looking at yourself you're not judging yourself and you're not rewarding yourself. You're not, you're not in pride and you're not in self-hate or guilt. You're focused on him and his goodness. And he's influencing you moment by moment. And the Bible calls it this way, from glory to glory. You are being transformed by what 
you are gazing at. I call it beholding brings becoming. You are becoming that which you focus upon. And that love of God received within that loving relationship with him transforms us from the inside out. We find we no longer desire to do wrong things. We come to a point where it makes us sick to even think about doing something wrong. Not because we're focused on wrong, but because his goodness is transforming us. Let me illustrate this. Many of us have had a really good quiet time with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, where we've really sensed his goodness. We've been touched by his love. You know, in worship, you're there in worship and you're singing these songs and at first the words don't mean much to you, but then all of a sudden you realize you mean them. And all of a sudden you feel the love that you're singing about and it touches your soul. Can you imagine being with him like that, having that moment, and you come out of that moment and you think, I'm so full of the love of God, I just want to go steal a car. I'm so full of the love of God, I just want to go kill somebody. (laughs) Being in love with him and putting your gaze on him does not lead to a freedom that embraces sin. It leads to a loving relationship that wants only to please him, and you're being transformed while you're gazing at him. I'm so loved by God that I have no desire to hurt him by sinning or hurt anybody else. You see, it's bizarre to even think of a God transforming the human heart into something that desires to do wrong. The truth is the opposite. It brings forth holiness. We are becoming holy people because we are close to a holy God. We're only as holy as we are remaining close to him. There is no such thing as self-righteousness. There's only the righteousness that comes from being intimate, into him, intimate with him. You see, holiness is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it is simply a transformation of the heart that changes us from the inside out And it does so as our attention is on God and not on ourselves. Satan has an agenda, my friends. He has a long list of your failures from yesterday, last night, and this morning. And he takes that list and he holds it up in front of your face. And every time you try to be with God, he puts that list of your failures right in front of you. And everywhere you look, you see your failures. They're there ever present because it's his job to keep reminding you of them. Because if he can keep your attention on your failures, he can take your attention from your father. And when that happens, you're now disconnected from holiness and everything that you need. How about a new kind of prayer? How about a new kind of prayer that says, you know, there's so many things I could pray for. There's so many things going on, but I'll do that in the car on the way to work. Or I'll do that at home on the way back from work. Or I'll do that some other time. But right now, I just want to be with God to be with God. I'm not even asking for anything. I just want to look at him. I just want to think about him. I just want to expose my heart to his. 
and his heart to mine. I just want to gaze at him. I want to wonder, get caught up in wonder at how truly beautiful, how amazing and kind and good he is. Why don't we make that the center of our life, not our performance? When you're, when, when you're, you know, it was, uh, I believe it was St. Augustine who was asked to sum up Christian ethics in one phrase. And he said, love God and do what you want. You see, because he was so confident that if you're in love with God and you're in a loving relationship with him and you're intimate with him, you are not going to want to do wrong. You're going to want to do right. And he will direct you into that. So how about a new kind of prayer? How about a new way of being with God? Gazing at him and being transformed from glory to glory. That's my prayer for you today. That's what I'll be praying for you for. So carve it out and protect it. It's where every good thing comes from. Amen. Now let's let Josh take us into a time of worship where we simply contemplate the absolute goodness of our Heavenly Father. See you soon.
Thank you so much for joining in with us today. We know that you could worship anywhere else, but you chose to worship with us. Thank you so much. We'll see you back same time next week. Have a great week.